On the next Probably True Solar Stories, we're going to go to a modern world where honest and friendly dragons heat the boilers for steam-powered turbines. The dragons enjoy the job and are paid good union wages. But then the king decides that the dragons need to be replaced, and he sparks a bloody dragon war that leads to the invention of solar power. Welcome back to Probably True Solar Stories. I'm your host and solar storyteller, Tor Solarfred Valenza. Did you like Game of Thrones? Me too. And that's sad, because it seemed like people cared more about dragon stories than solar stories. And dragons aren't even close to being real. But as they say, the customer, or in this case, the pop culture fiction lovers, are always right. So I hungered down and wrote a three-part solar noir dragon story. While this story has humor, it is not a children's story. There will be blood and burnt flesh, so fair warning. Okay, here we go. The Red Knight and the Dawn of the Solar Dragon, written and read by Tor Solarfred Valenza. Hello, I am Zeno, and I have been asked by King Maxwell II of Luxenshire to record the story of how and why Esther the Dragon and Gorin the Red Knight fought the Second Dragon War. If you don't know me, then you're probably living in a time and place where dragons are a part of myth and sexy television shows. But mark me, dragons are very real in my time and kingdom. They're as common as bears. Or rather, they used to be common. But I'm getting ahead of myself. The last battle between Esther the Dragon and Gorn the Red Knight has been reported in the kingdom media and the memes all over energy twitterdom. But few know how it really started, and how it led to the Second Dragon War, and the loss of many human and dragon lives. The First Dragon War was largely a misunderstanding. Five hundred years ago, dragons and humans fought about land rights, caves, and dragons poaching animals from human farms. It wasn't their fault. Dragons didn't understand about the value of cow, pig, and sheep farming, or about the ownership of any animal. Dragons were like wild wolves. If a dragon wanted meat, they saw their prey and hunted it down. Or in the dragon's case, they flew, they roasted their prey on the field until the animal's hide was burned off, then they cooked it to medium to about medium rare. Delicious. Finally, they took their roasted prey back to the family nest and dinner table. How different was that from any hunter-gatherer? In short, ranches and farms were like free open-air dragon cafeterias. It was only when the ancient dragon speech therapists taught dragons how to communicate that the dragons finally understood that attacking a ranch was the same as attacking their caves and nests and stealing their eggs. Once dragons understood that, they promised not to hunt near cities or the occasional human. And so, the First Dragon War ended. Over a millennia, they began to interact more with humans, 
and they became a regular part of stories and our culture. Hundreds of years later, when dragons found out that they could be useful for power plants, a new dragon-human era began. As I said, my name is Zeno, and I am a natural wizard. Depending on your beliefs, some might call me a scientist. But, tomato, tomato, call me what you like. Natural wizard suits me. As a natural wizard, the world is my laboratory. But you have to call someplace home. My home was an ancient dragon cave near the Luxenshired Light Palace. I personally answered to the old King Maxwell I, who knew we had to solve the dragon power problem. I know it's difficult to imagine today with everything running on solar power and batteries, but in those early energy days, the entire kingdom was powered by great fire-breathing dragons. It worked like this. Dragon breath heated large boiler kettles filled with water. The boilers created steam, which then turned a turbine generator. Transmission lines went from dragon power boiler caves to local homes, and like energy magic, instead of candles and whale oil, we had central power for light bulbs. Other inventions soon followed. Refrigerators, blenders, and air conditioners. Huzzah! Of course, dragon power was crude, but not cruel. Dragons wanted to help humans. I have known many dragons, and they were all very intelligent. They liked being useful and having a steady job. Before power stations, they were a carnival trick or an accidental fire hazard. As for pay, like humans, dragons have always been attracted to gold, although they never bought anything. Still, they understood that their thermal abilities were valuable. They were a job, and dragons demanded payment like any job. And that payment became more and more expensive. Aside from the expense, there were other reasons why dragon power had to be replaced by an alternative. As intelligent beings, dragons had opinions and emotions. As a rule, Energy wizards like myself could never talk to a dragon about religion, politics, wrestling, or Game of Thrones. But even without those topics, they could be moody. If a married dragon pair had a fight, or a dragon woke up on the wrong side of the cave, their fires might abruptly turn off, causing a grid blackout. With some soothing words, perhaps feeding them some chocolate-covered aardvarks, their favorite treat, we could coax their throats to glow warm again and come online. But clearly, this dynamic was unreliable for keeping the kingdom's lights on. The other problem was that large dragons were not only moody, but scarce. When you found one willing and able to boil an energy kettle to 212 to 600 degrees Fahrenheit, they had to be centralized and housed in regional dragon power caves. In case of a dragon out or the need for extra power during the summer, King Maxwell had to pay extra gold to Pika dragons. Pika dragons were on 24-7 standby in nearby backup caves. They slept most of the time, but dragons don't like being confined, 
so they demanded even more gold than base power dragons. Then, when dragons joined the Elf Union, they asked for more gold and benefits. They wanted chocolate-covered aardvarks once a week, thirty-minute coffee breaks thrice a day, a television with all the streaming services built in, and other creature comfort demands. The king gave them everything they asked for, but the dragons could still be grumpy when you woke them up or interrupted Pico dragons from watching their dragon novella soap operas. I used to manage Pico dragons, and believe me, it was dangerous work. And that's why King Maxwell turned to me in my energy wizard laboratory. He wanted me to invent a new kind of energy that would not rely on dragons or dragon thermal fire. Esther was our dedicated laboratory energy dragon. She used to be a Pico dragon, so she was used to being used intermittently. She loved her work, always heating my boiler kettle as needed. She also knew that her dragon power was in competition with our experiments with fossil gas, solar, and wind. But she welcomed the competition. We paid her a competitive gold salary, and she wasn't greedy. Esther had everything she needed, so she often gave gold away to poor humans. She was a good dragon. Likewise, before becoming the Red Knight, Gorin was a good apprentice and a brilliant engineer. You've heard the stories, so you may doubt that, but I assure you that Gorin wanted to find an alternative to dragon energy as much as I did. Gorin was young. He grew up with dragon energy, and he marveled at the dragon's power. But with the kingdom's ever-increasing energy needs, he knew we could not rely on dragon energy forever. One viral dragon plague, and the entire kingdom would be plunged into darkness. At first, Esther and Gorin had a collegial relationship. Esther knew Gorin wanted to make her obsolete, but she also knew that dragons had existed for thousands of years before power plants were invented. If our laboratory was successful, Esther expected that she and her brothers and sisters would go back to their caves and coves, hunt wild animals, keep up with her soaps, lay eggs, and fly. In fact, Esther said that she wanted to start Dragon Airlines after energy dragons were retired. It was a vague idea. Something about taking people into low orbit for a few minutes. But as you know, that venture never happened. As to how Gorin became the Red Knight, I remember the day well. Gorin had created a blueprint for replacing dragons by burning abundant elements. That, he reasoned, would keep our current pressure kettle steam turbine technology. Instead of fire dragon breath, power plants would heat water by burning fuel from trees, coal, oil, and gas. That's a daft plan, Gorin, said Esther. The kingdom will run out of all those things one day. Besides, people like trees. Even a dragon likes the shade under a tree or to perch on a strong branch. And to get the coal, you'll have to cut down those trees, dig, then transport them to the power plants, then burn it. That's a massive roundabout effort to blend a smoothie and run your air conditioner, if you ask me. Valid points, Esther. But this design will work now, said Gorin. This burning method will create mining jobs, tree-cutting jobs, transport jobs, and pollution-control jobs. 
these abundant elements lay right before us today. All we have to do is dig them up, transfer them to the caves, build my new boiler design, and then light a match. It's nearly the same turbine system as we have today, just different fuels. I don't see why we should look further. Aye, it'll work all too well, Gorin. You're being short-sighted, said Esther. Eventually you'll burn it all. And with the way the kingdom's electricity demand is growing, it won't last. Let's not settle for a bad solution that's just good enough. We dragons can be temperamental, I know. But we'll keep the lights on until the humans find the right answer. Not the first answer. Yes, we'll eventually find the right answer, agreed Gorn. I believe in Zeno's solar power solution. I also like wind towers. But the sun and wind are intermittent. We'll need batteries, too. That could take years to invent. Maybe decades. Is your solar solution ready now, Zeno? My solar panel solution was not ready then, but I was very close. I had learned to harness the photovoltaic effect. When sunlight shines on the semiconductor material, it excites electrons and creates a flow of electricity into a direct current. But Gorin had a point. It was an incomplete solution, and I said so that very day. Yes, Gorin, you're right. We'll need new battery technology, too. But as you know, Petrov is working on a lithium-ion phosphate battery solution that seems promising. I'm also working on a tandem perovskite solar technology. But it will take time. However, I agree with Esther. Let's not hastily adopt a technology that will impact the air and climate of the kingdom. Gorin didn't respond at first. He thought carefully about his next words. Then he said, With all due respect, Zeno, carbon dioxide is healthy and used by plants every day. Coal, gas, and oil are abundant resources and ready to be harnessed. The gods gave us these elements to be used, not left in the ground. Can't you see that? I could see that Gorin was passionate and proud of his solution. But I could also see that Esther was looking at Gorin, studying him, smelling him, hearing the subtle tones in his voice. You're in the pockets of the king and the landowner barons, Gorin. Don't tell me you're not. Standing twenty feet in the air, Esther's neck lowered to six feet and pointed down at a forty-five degree angle at Gorin. This position was an aggressive dragon posture. And thank the gods, Gorin knew it. I won't lie, said Gorin. My father is a miner. My aunt owns land with large deposits of gas and oil under her acres. Perhaps most importantly, I've just learned that King Maxwell's land surveyors have found mountains of coal throughout the realm. His highness thought it was a useless mineral. Now he knows that it's worth something. Something that can be burned. Something that can provide energy. Something that can be taxed. Aye, but the king can't tax the sun's energy. Can he, Gorin? And he can't tax the wind blowing. And if anyone can install solar panels and batteries, then everyone would have free electricity. Free energy is too expensive for the king, isn't it, Gorin? Gorin didn't say anything for a moment. Conspiracy theories, said Gorin. The king supports solar and wind just as much as my thermal solutions. They're just not ready yet. 
You're lying, Gorin. I can tell. You know dragons do hate lying. Gorin did know. Everyone knew. Dragons were natural lie detectors, so they never lied to each other. And when humans lied straight to their faces, it was an insult. It was like saying that the truth was irrelevant. I'll ask you again. Does the king support Solar? Esther asked. Yes, said Gorin, as soon as the technology is mature. I see. And does the king support wind energy? Yes, yes, of course. In due time. Esther's nostrils flared. A snake of smoke began to seep out. Esther, I said, please, we're colleagues. You know he's lying. Let him lie. It's our work that's important. I can forgive a human lying once to my face, Zeno, but not twice. Fire burst from Esther's dragon maw. Like a flaming arrow, the firebolt hit Gorin in the chest, and his personal fire shield immediately burst into a blue flame and disintegrated into glowing shards. I threw a dragon fire blanket around Gorin's torso, but it was too late. His entire chest and back sloughed off and fell to his feet, leaving red, raw flesh from his waist to his neck. He was fortunate not to have lost the skin on his head, but Esther had aimed precisely. I saved Gorn's life with the fire blanket and applied dragon burn liniment as quickly as I could. But his skin was permanently raw, scarred, and damaged. And that is how Gorin became known as the Red Knight. As Gorin lay in pain before her, Esther didn't apologize. She'd given him a warning. Besides, everyone knew never to lie to the face of a dragon. It was like sticking your head into a lion's mouth or jumping off a building without a parachute. If you were sane, you just didn't do it. Maybe it was Gorin's pride, or perhaps it was his loyalty to the king that made him lie. He never said why. In any case, that was the beginning of Gorin's quest to extinguish all the dragons in the known kingdom. It was also the beginning of my hastening the invention of a solar photovoltaic solution that would replace dragon fire before Gorin could implement his thermal solution. Gorin went to the hospital, but he never came back to the laboratory. Not as an engineer, anyway. After months of healing, he went straight for the hospital to King Maxwell's throne room. Young Prince Maxwell was witness to their conversation. He tells us that Gorin showed the king his fossil blueprints and assured the king that every dragon power plant could be upgraded to burn coal, oil, gas, and wood. All the king had to do was grant him permission to dig, drill, and burn what the gods had provided. King Maxwell agreed. Seeing Gorin's red skin, he said, I see your sacrifice, Gorin. For this, I knight you, Gorin the Red Knight. You will be my energy champion. Along with your title, I bestow upon you one thousand acres of Luxonshire forest. My surveyors tell me that the forest is filled with buried coal and oil. Retrieve this buried energy, Gorin. I grant you the mineral rights to sell this fuel to our kingdom's future upgraded power plants. 
to protect your assets and our tax revenues, the kingdom will assess some non-bypassable charges and a 20% utility surcharge. The rest of your fuel-burning profits are yours. Thank you, my king. Though stretching his skin was agonizing, Gorn bowed his red neck and bent one knee as far as he could. After being knighted by the king, Gorn winced and looked up at King Maxwell. And the dragons? asked Gorn. If your solution is true, then the dragons have no purpose to us. You may extinguish them, said King Maxwell, but be quick and be discreet. I will, my king, said Gorn. Well, this won't end well for dragons. Or will it? You'll have to find out on the next episode of Probably True Solar Stories. If you're enjoying Probably True Solar Stories, the most important thing that you can do to support the show is to rate and review it on Apple, Spotify, or your favorite podcast listening platform. Also, please be sure to share these episodes with friends and family interested in solar, clean energy, audiobooks, and especially those thinking about transitioning their careers to solar and clean energy. I hope these stories are a great way for people to learn about the technology and the industry in a fun, fictional way. That's it for now. The Red Knight and the Dawn of the Solar Dragon was written and performed by Tor Solarfred Valenza. Probably True Solar Stories is a production of Unthink Solar PR and Communications. Be bold for solar, stand out, and educate.